Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, Graham and I get to have a conversation with Josh Dawes, who lives with his family in Georgia. Uh, Josh has an interesting background, having been raised as the son of a pastor, uh, been involved very heavily in the church growth movement years ago, and now has come to a more clear and reformed understanding of the scriptures. And he's a good public thinker. Uh, He's written an article for the American Reformer assessing the Christian nationalism movement, trying to help Christians to think rightly about that. And he also addresses other issues that are inevitable for those of us who are living with our eyes wide open in this modern world. So I encourage you to listen in. And if you find this helpful and beneficial, then pass it along to others as well. Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today, and we especially want to welcome and to thank our Founders Alliance members and Founders Alliance churches who support us and enable us to produce content like this and make it widely available. Today, we're especially glad to have Josh Doss who is joining us remotely from Georgia. And we uh, look forward to this conversation. Josh, welcome to The Sword and the Trowel. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Josh, you are a husband and a father. You work remotely, uh, living in Georgia, part of a Reformed Baptist church. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Okay, so what else should people know about you that maybe is not uh, widely known about your background or uh, how you've come to where you are today? Yeah, um, well, I'm a pastor's kid, so I, I grew up in the church, uh, Southern Baptist, and uh, when I hit college, I was kind of done with all the tradition and and made a beeline to a non-denominational church and got all went all in on the uh, the seeker-sensitive movement and mm. uh, actually worked for a, a large seeker-sensitive church for about ten years before um, God kind of began pulling us uh, more in a, a reformed direction and. Uh, and so that's a, I don't know, interesting part of my history there. Well, how about that? Where'd you go to college? Uh, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. All right, very good. A and M just sent our quarterback to you guys a couple of years ago, uh, who uh, did fairly well uh, this semester. So. Um, Well, thanks for joining us. We wanted to have a conversation with you because of the way that you have engaged publicly some uh, important issues. Uh, You wrote a wonderful article that we're going to link to in the American Reformer on Christian nationalism. It's a a primer for lay people, and you just tried to give the lay of the land. And as you have uh, thought about these things on your own podcast, which is The Great Awakening, another podcast we would highly recommend folks to give attention to, to listen to, Uh, You do so in a way that shows some intellectual honesty and rigor and Christian conviction uh, without getting mad about it or without going squish on uh, issues. And that is something we need more of today. So kudos to you for that. And we hope that the conversation we'll have with you today will be useful for that uh, same purpose. Josh, are you willing to take the label of a Christian nationalist? Well, I'm going to steal Tom's uh, answer there. It depends. (laughs) What what, what do you mean by that? Um, And I think that's, that's kind of uh, what, what prompted me to um, write that article for um, American reformer is I just saw so much kind of speaking past one another, just people 
condemning it without explicitly, you know, explaining what they're actually condemning or people embracing the term without really explaining what they meant by that. And so I, I, I felt like, um, you know, it's all fun and games when it's on Twitter and we're having our fun back and forth and, you know, it can get heated and is and, that fun and ranker <laughs> <laughs> rancorous at times. Uh, you know, some people enjoy it, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I was really concerned that it seemed like it was becoming a bigger conversation that was going to start showing up in the local church. And that's where, um, you know, I just wanted to help kind of uh, equip pastors who don't have time for all of the, you know, shenanigans on Twitter, um, just to really know how to think about it. Um, you know, from the perspective of someone who's been following this conversation since the beginning, Mm. you know, G3 had, um, was just about to do their conference or they were addressing it. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of, um, hopefully, you know, present it in a way that was more, uh, kind of absent of the, the, the divisive, uh, rhetoric and kind of gave everybody a fair shake. So I hope I accomplished that. Yeah, I think you definitely did accomplish this. So, uh, you said you've been following the conversation from the beginning. So where do you see the genesis of the conversation, uh, going back? How did you first get interested in it? what did you see? What have been some of the contributing, uh, tributaries to what's now this stream of debate about Christian nationalism? Yeah. You know, I really, the term itself has been, um, you know, it, it's, it's relatively new, but you can find instances of it um, dating back to the the 50s, I think, was a, you know, there was, uh, it was mentioned in some books, um, but it really became popular, um, really uh, 2000s, I think, uh, a New York Times um, author wrote, uh, I forget the name of the, the book, but she she calls out Christian nationalism as kind of like a threat to democracy here in in. Uh, America. Um, but really, it was after the January 6 uh, riots there at the Capitol, that the media were just really latched onto this term and and started, you know, referring to it as a white Christian nationalist uh, uprising. And um, really trying to kind of, um, I don't know, attach that group and, and the concerns there with, you know, something ugly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm not you know, defending anything, you know, everything that happened there on the Capitol that day. Um, but, you know, the, the media really, you know, wanted to kind of try and, you know, spin that in the worst possible light and to suck in as many conservative Christians uh, as possible because mm-hmm. they really, you know, they don't like, you know, what we stand for and what we bring to the political uh, conversation here in America. And, uh, you know, from there, it just kind of took off and became kind of uh, the term that uh, the left was really using to kind of uh, broad brush uh, conservative, any sort of conservative mm-hmm. Christian involvement in politics. Yeah. So uh, that yeah, it's with us and this is a conversation that is inevitable. There's no way around it. You can't just uh, pretend like it's going to go away. It's not going to go away. Um, I remember early on when I first started uh uh, noticing some of the things you were saying, you proposed Christian federalism as an alternative to Christian nationalism. So, uh, why did you do that, and what happened to Christian federalism? Yeah, so initially, I was kind of with a lot of people. I think there was kind of this, you know, you you kind of had two groups responding to it. You had one group that kind of took the media bait and and like ran from it, like, no, 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 we're we're Christians, <laughs> but we reject Christian nationalism. It's bad, bad, bad. Right. And then you had another group that was just like, 
Yeah, that's a cool name. Sure. I'm Christian nationalist. <laughs> and uh, I initially was kind of like, that's, that was kind of my response. And, and, and talking with some people, particularly um, some people of an older generation who have more kind of, um, I don't know, a, a visceral connection to nationalism. They think, you know, automatically think of like fascism, you know, from kind of what we defeated in, in world war two. Um, you know, I thought you know, maybe that that portion of it, you know, the nationalism uh, portion of the term uh, is not, you know, the smartest uh, rhetorical move. Um, and then maybe we could uh, replace it with something else that kind of gets the same, you know, um, same idea that, you know, we're Christians. We want this to be a Christian country. We want uh, Christianity to influence how we uh, govern ourselves as a self-governing people. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a nice, you know, tradition of federalism, which is, uh, you know, all about uh, kind of, um, you know, trusting the states to uh, govern locally uh, under a federal um, union. And, it, you know, initially I thought, hey, maybe this might be an alternative. Uh, didn't gain much traction. And, and I think some people are still kind of holding on to it. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I, I've let that ship sail. <laughs> Here at Founders, we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we delight in God's goodness and kindness to us, and we love to take opportunity to remember the good, kind things that he's done for us. We also want to take advantage of these holidays to provide you with a special sale on all of our Founders uh, materials. So you can buy our books, you can buy our shirts, and other things that we have available in the Founders store online, and you can get a 20% discount by using the code HOLIDAY20, HOLIDAY, all caps, 20, the number 20, and that'll get you 20% off of everything that Founders sells until the 9th of December this year. So if you had to position yourself uh, in the debate, how do you you see it? And then explain to us... um, your own thoughts, your own desires as it relates to this discussion. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not afraid of the label. Uh, I think the label is here to stay. I think it's, it's, it's part of the conversation now. I, I, I don't think running away from it is, is helpful. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it's a great idea to embrace it, but um, if they're going to call me a Christian nationalist and I get to kind of define what I mean by that, then sure, whatever, I'm a Christian nationalist. Um, but I, I think where I fall more, um, I just want Christians to re- to recover the, the will to govern from a Christian moral framework. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the last few years, the last decade really, have, have made it abundantly clear that we the the illusion of neutrality is, is shattered. Like we can't have a neutral public square. I think that was that was always a kind of um, illusion that the left used to kind of push their uh, anti-Christian uh, agenda um, and keep a lot of Christians uh, sidelined. It's like, well, we don't want to, you know, that's not our place. We, you know, well, let's focus on the church and our families and just kind of stay out of public life. And I think it's it's become clear that that's just not 
um, that's not feasible anymore. And so I really just want Christians to like, recover that will that like, no, no, it's, it's good to make laws based on our Christian values. It, it's good to ban drag queens from, you know, libraries like that. That's a, that's a, a, a totally um, good thing that we should be working towards. We, we don't have to, you know, do the David French route and say, well, you know, blessings of liberty. We, if we're going to have access, then any everyone has to have access. Mm. Like, no, 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 no. We we need to govern. There's always going to be some moral framework in place behind our legals, our, our laws, and it it should be a Christian one if we're going to, you know, actually be a self governing people that bring our values to the the ballot box. Yeah, I think that's well put. And um, Graham and I have talked about um, different times of for me at least, you know, growing up uh, in that uh, post-war consensus, that sense of neutrality, of secularism, that all of those things, uh, I was just discipled into believing that that's the best of all possible worlds. And whenever you come to grips with, no, wait a minute, uh, there there is no neutrality. And mm-hmm. secularism that we uh, used to applaud, uh, it's not really non-religious. You know, mm-hmm. It is religious. And uh, the inevitability of religious commitments is something that once you see, you, you at least has helped me to recognize, okay, uh, now we got to sort out which religion and why, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. knowing God, uh, knowing the true God who created the world is his world. The natural law is his law. Uh, how can we do anything except advocate for living in the way that he instructs us to live? And that scares people to death. It scares people who were brought up and trained in the way that I was trained uh, to think, oh, no, man, you're a jihadist. You know? <laughs> you're know, you on a, a mission now. Deus of all, let's do the Crusades again. That's right. I mean, it's a, that whole deal. And um, I, I think there is an inevitability that if a Christian takes seriously the claims of Jesus Christ and says Jesus is Lord, full stop, you are going to be called a Christian nationalist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you can pick your poison. Yeah, and you can't say Jesus is Lord over nations, but he doesn't want us to govern nations with any sort of acknowledgement that he's Lord. That's right, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I think, uh, I think um, Bob Dylan called it a generation ago. You know, you, you're <laughs> going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Bob Dylan maybe is the original Christian nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if we'd taken to heart what he was saying, we wouldn't uh, have been. I wouldn't have been caught so far off guard uh, several years ago. And uh, now I'm playing catch up. I'll spend the rest of my life mm-hmm. playing catch up, you know, trying to uh, get my mind around these things more clearly. Because one of the things that's happened, Josh, and, and again, this is I think you you do this so well from your own vantage point. You know, you don't you don't try to. I, from what I've seen, you don't try to to play in fields where you're not planted, but you try to think very clearly uh, as a Christian who is in this world and who can, through the gifts God's given you, help other Christians think well. Uh, Also, we have been exposed in the evangelical American Christian world. We've been exposed for, for not having a theology that knows how to go public. Mm. You know, our public theology is just in shams and shatters. That's uh, one of the reasons we we started the Institute of Public mm-hmm. Theology is trying to recover some of this and to do so in a disciplined way. But help us understand. I'm you grew up in a pastor's home, and so you had some real advantages there. But um, I mean, the Lord has 
gifted you in ways to think about public issues and to do so Christianly without falling into the extremes, you know, of just burn it all down or, hey, no, no, you know, it's not that bad. Um, How did you come to this? What's helped you along the way in your thinking about these kind of issues? Yeah, well, it's been really through, you know, I've lived long enough to have made a lot of mistakes, um, you know, when it comes to to this, um, you know, like I, I said earlier, I was a big um, believer in the seeker sensitive movement. And so I was all about, you know, that kind of, um, you know, Tim Keller public, um, you know, oh, oh, what's the, the term um, public presence. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like presence, you, yeah. if we just exist in public that that they're going to see that we live differently and they're going to ask what's different about you well you know after you know 20 years of working in you know corporate america and seeing um you know seeing that play out with with many different christians who kind of have that that posture it's like no those questions don't come you know that (laughs) that we're not making any uh advance uh and you know any advances for christ or for the kingdom um, just by being nice, you know, a lot of people are nice in, in corporate America or in, in the public space. Um, and so I think our, um, our public theology has to start playing out differently. And so that, that just, you know, that and seeing a lot of, um, a lot of friends when we lived in Los Angeles, um, we, we had a front row seats to some really high profile, uh, deconstruction stories and just seeing the devastation of uh, of that and what that does to families and um you know both the immediate family and like you know the parents watching their kids deconstruct it just really broke um uh, broke my heart and um seeing that trajectory um really that started with like a concern for social justice Mm -hmm. and that that started down a path of just really questioning everything and and kind of decolonizing your theology and and all the the whole process and so when we moved back to the South um, in like 2017, I kind of just kind of was ready to kind of wash my hands of the whole seeker movement. And we were discovering reformed theology and just kind of chalked that up. It's like, that's just a California thing that, you know, it's a phenomenon that's happening there. Mm. And then we started to see those ideas, those, those same social justice, um, critical theory ideas show up in conservative reformed churches mm. Uh, here in the South. And and that's just really what prompted me to start speaking out publicly and, and you know, eventually start uh, a podcast just to help kind of um, help the church and help Christians know how to think about these things from a, uh, from a biblical uh, perspective and just, um, I don't know, kind of wave the red flag and, 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 you know, sound the alarm. I want to invite you to join us January 18th through 20th, 2024, here in Southwest Florida for the National Founders Conference. We're addressing the theme of remembering Jesus Christ. And so Phil Johnson, Conrad Mbewey, Travis Allen, Joel Beakey, and Costi Hinn will come and preach for us. I'll join with them as well as we look at this most vitally important subject. You can find more information and register for this at founders.org. You know, one of the challenges and sometimes accusations that uh, 
Christians get, we've, we've gotten it is, hey, man, you guys suddenly have become political. You know, now you're talking about political issues, and you shouldn't be political. You're a Christian. You're a pastor. Um, it's a distraction from kingdom work. That's right. You know, all, all these things, where's the gospel? Well, certainly, there's no doubt. We can always uh, lose the gospel. We can always assume Christ, and that's a danger. We never want to pretend that we're immune from that danger. But the most political statement that any Christian can make and that every Christian has to make is Jesus is Lord. I don't know that we have thought deeply enough about that statement, uh, which Paul says you can't make apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, and whenever you start thinking about the implications, you say, oh, well, I get that more and more. In the first century, that was a statement that resulted in our forefathers having their heads severed from their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And today, we think we can say Jesus is Lord and yet still genuflect to the state or to these various uh, strong movements that seek to intimidate or coerce us into postures and attitudes and even uh, statements that are contrary to the Lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. one of the things I appreciate about you is that in your engagements, you know, I get this sense of uh, it's just always kind of that operating background system of, yeah, the Lordship of Christ, Lordship of Christ. And what does, what do these things say? And, and what does Christ say to these realities that we are inevitably having to confront now? So you became a Christian as a, uh, what, how old were you? How did that happen? I was uh, seven when I professed and was uh, baptized. Um, I, it became real for me um, in college, mm-hmm. uh, probably when I first like really grasped like grace and what Christ had done for me. Okay. And so with the, that, what, with that pilgrimage, how do you think about the Lordship of Christ? I mean, intentionally, how do you think about the fact that that Christ rules and reigns over everything and uh, letting that inform then your commentary and your evaluations of where we are uh, culturally right now. Well, having been wrong about so many things that I passionately, you know, defended for, for many years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I've just really taken to heart the, the, the whole, um, you know, Paul where he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that that whole process, like you were saying, you know, we just grew up in a culture that, you know, inculcated so many different ideas. I think there's so many things that Christians believe that, that we haven't even taken, um, you know, inventory of, we haven't even really dared to, uh, to question or hold up to scripture. And I think that's where the Lordship of Christ really begins. It has to begin in our own life and our own, thoughts and our own um, actions, how we order our lives. Um, you know, we, I think a lot of Christians have the right values, but we don't have the right hierarchy of values. Mm-hmm. Like we'll value the right things. Yeah. Like we want to, we want our kids to love Jesus. We want our, you know, our, um, you know, kids to be in church, but you know, if we're tired, <laughs> we'll stay home. And so mm-hmm. we don't, val- we don't really value that uh, the most, or, you know, we, you know, we're not going to send our kids to uh, give them a Christian education because we're, you know, we're afraid, you know, that, you know, I don't know, we won't be able to go on this nice vacation to whatever, you know, I know there's different, you know, beliefs about that. Um, But, you know, and I think that's where it starts. It's just like reevaluating, holding everything in our lives up to 
Christ and scripture and saying, okay, I'm, I'm, if, if you're Lord of my life, you have claim to everything, you know, how I order my finances, how I order, um, you know, what I think about these things. Uh, and I, I just think, you know, I'm, I've been on a kind of a journey to kind of re-examine, um, and, uh, and, and, and hold different ideas up to scripture and, and try and, um, you know, let, let, you know, scripture shape those more. Mm-hmm. So Josh, where do you see the Christian nationalism movement or the debate going? Well, who, who are some of the folks that you would say, okay, th- these are guys worth listening to. And, uh, here are some that maybe, you know, I would take strong exception to their proposals. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, I'm encouraged that it's becoming more of a conversation that has to be had. Mm-hmm. I think it, with any movement, um, the first people to step into it are always going to be more, you know, have more bravado, have more, um, you know, they're, they're, they don't have as much of a filter. And so they're going to say things that are a little bit more abrasive. And I think, um, you know, if you're going to be in these conversations, you kind of have to take that, uh, for granted and be able to kind of sift through to, to, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Um, but the, the conversation has matured enough. I think that that we're starting to see more, um, more kind of seasoned voices step into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, my friend Joe Rigney, I think, uh, has a lot to offer in this conversation. I think he's, uh, he's definitely someone, um, I've learned a lot from and, uh, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, he's, um, him speak more into this. Um, you know, I think I love, um, I think the guys at American reformer are doing great work and I've appreciated a lot of what they've, they've published there. Um, don't agree with everything they've done or everything they're doing, but uh, overall, I think it's a, it's a great publication and they do, um, do really, they publish a lot of interesting pieces. Yeah. Have you seen Andy and Sally's, uh, recent articles? I, I found yeah, that very, very helpful as well. Yeah, and the Christ overall, mm-hmm. just they did a, a whole series uh, over the last month on on it, and uh, you know a lot of great interviews with different people and different voices. So I'm really encouraged by where the conversation is going. I think, um, yeah, it gives me hope. Wonderful. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can people find you? I mean, you're on. Um, I still call it Twitter. Don't yeah. tell Elon X, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, he knows. Yeah, he probably does. Sorry. Um, where can people find you online and uh, access the content that you are producing? Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on a Twitter fast until the end of the year, but you can find me there. I'll be back uh, raring to go in uh, January uh, at Josh Dawes. And then um, my podcast, The Great Awakening, uh, can be found wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Sword and Trowel. If this has been helpful to you, please pass it along and let us know if there's any way that we at Founders can be helpful to you. It'd be our joy to try to do so. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. 
it strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.